Father in heaven, thank you so much that we have this opportunity to come and study your word once more. What a blessing it is, O Lord, to be able to open the, the sacred scriptures. And Lord, I just pray that you would please send us your Holy Spirit. We want to gain a blessing from the study of your word this evening. And Lord, unless you are present with us, we can that attempt will only be futile. And so I pray, Lord, that you would please be with us now. Bless us, guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of our study this evening is The Grand Banquet. And we are still in the parables of Jesus. We're still in the parables of Jesus. I think we're on our ninth study this evening. And as always, Jesus, he gives some sort of story or teaching before he jumps into the parable. You know, what is the context behind why Jesus is about to give us this parable? Remember, this is always important to look at that background, the context of it, before looking at the parable itself. So let's turn to our first text here this evening in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. You know, Jesus is saying here that when you have a dinner or a supper, do not call just your friends. Don't just call those that are just your relatives or those that are rich. Instead, call those that are poor, that are maimed, that are lame. Then you'll be blessed. Those that cannot pay you back and invite you back to their rich houses and pay you back with an equally succulent and delightful and rich meal. Don't invite those that have the means that are at the same level as you, but rather reach out to those that are not as fortunate as yourself. And this is the background that Jesus starts with. And, you know, upon hearing what Jesus said about not inviting the only those that can pay you back, or those that are close family or friends, someone responds. And look at what they say in Luke chapter 14, and verse 15. Luke 14 and verse 15. The Bible says, And when one of them that sat at meat with them heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, they're looking forward to eating the heavenly bread, to be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb that is spoken about in the book of Revelation. And they're agreeing with Jesus about what he says. We shouldn't just invite those that are rich and those that are close to us and those that are on the same standard of living as us to eat at the table there. And, you know, we should be inviting those that cannot pay us back, those that are poor, those that don't have the means. And, you know, 
the man says, you know, blessed is he that is able to eat in, in the table that Jesus has set for us one day in heaven. But you know, Jesus, he doesn't acknowledge the man's reply, but rather he then jumps straight into the parable. And so let's do that at this time in Luke 14, 16 to 17. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. So a certain man, he's made a great supper and invites many people to come. He must have been rich. He had servants to go out and call these people to come. Everything was ready. All the people had to do was come and just turn up. But how did the people respond to this supper invitation? Pardon me. Luke chapter 14, now verses 18 to 20. And when they all with one consent began to make excuse, the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. What happens, friends? They begin to make excuses. The first said what? I bought a piece of ground, and I I need to go and see it. The second, they said they bought five yoke of oxen. That's ten oxen. And they needed to go and prove it, meaning he needed to go and test them. And then the third gave the reason that he just got married and he couldn't come or he had to go and see his wife. And, you know, looking at these reasons, they seem a bit weird, don't they? Why? I mean, look, the first reason, he says that I have to go see the land that I just purchased. Friends, don't you go and see a land before you purchase it? I mean, you should know the land pretty well inside and out before you go and buy this land. Surely you would go and inspect it clearly and minutely, look at all the the dimensions and all the details, right? You should know this land inside out before you purchase it. Secondly, that second person, he says, "I, I, I need to go and examine my oxen. But friends, shouldn't you examine the oxen before you actually buy it? Isn't that the logical thing to do? Why would he have to examine the oxen after he buys it? It's already his. It's too late. The transaction has already been made, right? And third reason. I mean, it doesn't seem like a really valid excuse at all. I mean, why can't you come just because you got married? I mean, it doesn't even say that that the person just got married as well. Maybe he got married this year at the beginning of the year. Why do you have to go and spend time with your wife and that's it, right? I mean, after all, it's just a dinner, right? It's not like you can't look at your land later or look at your oxen later or spend time with your wife later. Excuses. That's exactly what these people gave to this Lord who called with his servants to invite his friends, those that were close to him, those that he was familiar with to come to a supper at his house. So upon hearing these reasons, What does the Lord then proceed to do? Let's keep reading. Luke 14, 21. Luke 14, 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. So he calls all the poor and unfortunate. Why? Because all his other friends did not want to come. And those friends were obviously more well-to-do. I mean, one just bought a land, one just bought 10 yoke of oxen, or 10 oxen, five yoke of oxen, and one just got married. All of this requires money. So, you know, they were obviously rich. They obviously had some sort of money. Maybe they weren't really, really super wealthy, but at least they had enough to go buy some land and buy some possessions and get married. And finally, they all said no. And so this Lord, it seems like out of necessity, he's had to go and call the opposite group of people, the poor, the maimed, the halt, which is the crippled, and the blind. Now, look, obviously here the Lord represents God, right? I mean, who did he call at the beginning? At the very beginning, who did God call to come to receive this great blessing he called the Israelites. And it's not that they were rich. It's not that they had a lot of money. But God was the one that blessed them with so many blessings. He was the one that enriched them and gave them houses and lands and so many material blessings. So that part, it doesn't totally line up with the parable. But we know that the first call that God sent out was to the Israelites and they were blessed. They were blessed by God. I mean, God was the one that enriched Abraham, even though he lied about his wife being his sister. Pharaoh, who saw this this woman and thinking it was his sister, enriched Abraham with all these gifts, hoping to gain his favor so he could marry his sister, who he found out later was his wife. God was the one that blessed the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He was the one that softened the hearts of the Egyptians to, to, to give the, the, the Israelites whatever they wanted when they came asking for, for things and they would give them all the, the gold and silver and all their possessions. God was the one that blessed the Israelites with the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, God would be the one that would fight for them and and help them to gain victory over the the, the Canaanites and all the Perizzites and all the Philistines in that land. God was the one that gave them the victory. I mean, after all, all they had to do was march around a city and shout at it and those walls came tumbling down. It's not like they really were responsible for the victories that God gave them. They knew very clearly it was God that was fighting for them. It was God that blessed them with all these material blessings. He blessed them so much. And what happened at the end? Those riches ended up becoming a snare to them. They focused so much on the blessings, the material blessings, instead of giving a praise back to the giver of the blessings. And so the command was to go out and call the poor, the blind, the crippled, those that were maimed, those that were less fortunate, for He would be the one that would bless all of them. He would go out, turn away from the Israelites, and go to the Gentiles, those that did not believe in Him. And do we see the Gentiles blessed throughout Scripture? Oh, absolutely we do. Rahab, I mean, she didn't perish perish with those that, that perished when those walls of Jericho came crumbling down. Ruth, She was a Moabitess that would make the true God her God. 
wherever Naomi, her mother-in-law, went, she went and she eventually became the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother to Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar, he had the opportunity to even share his testimony included as part of the Bible in the book of Daniel. It was the Syrophoenician woman and the Roman centurion while Jesus walked the earth that he would point these two people out that were not of the Israelite faith and say these people had great faith. There was no such faith found in all of Israel. The light and the blessings and the glory of the gospel would shine out to others, would shine out to the Gentiles. And so this Lord, he invites his friends. He invites those that have been blessed, but they are too busy with their blessings. And so now the Lord turns to all the others. God now sets his focus on all the others out there. He turns away from the Israelites. But then the parable continues. Let's keep reading, shall we? Luke 14, 22 to 24. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servants, Go into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So the servant went out and invited everyone to come in. He would go out into the highways and the hedges to invite all to attend the dinner feast. The Lord wanted his house to be filled, and today God wants his house to be filled as well. Look at what it says in John 14 too. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus would promise that he would come again. He wants his house filled. He wants those mansions filled. He doesn't want an empty city. He doesn't want to be Lord over an empty place. No, he wants every single one of us to be there. Not a single soul will be left out. There's plenty room in the Father's house. And the invitation is open for everybody. Look at this. In Revelation 22 verse 7, and the, uh, 17, pardon me, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Friends, it is free for everybody to come. You don't need money. You don't need to be of a certain rank. You don't have to, to, to have been born in a certain type of family. No, friends, everybody can come. It is available for everybody and no one will be rejected or turned away based upon how rich they were or how many possessions they had here on this earth. But why is it that God, at least in this parable, it seems like God is favoring the rich first and not the poor? Why is it seeming like he's calling only his close friends? It is not that God is a respecter of persons because he isn't. That's James chapter 2. But he wanted to distinguish between the two classes of people. He wanted to show how much easier it is to heed the gospel invitation for those who are poor compared to those who are rich. 
Why is that so? I mean, why is it harder for the rich to come to the feast that God is preparing for them in heaven? Is there really such a great difference between the rich and the poor? Is it really so difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven? What's the reason that is given? And we, we looked at this text before in previous parables. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, we see here, The love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's hard to focus on the treasures in heaven when you have so much to focus on on this earth. You see, the riches that are on this earth, they are tangible. They are seen. You can, you can touch it. You can feel it. You can experience it. The, the lusciousness and the softness of a, a velvet couch or, or the nice, soft or firm, depending which sort of person you are, king-size bed that you have or the nice, great, grand car that you bought. You know, these things are tangible. You can see it, you can touch it, you can, you can smell that new smell, right? After you just opened it or you sit on it or you sit in it in a car, right? You can, you can smell, you can, it's just different. And so when you can feel that between your hands, it makes heaven just a little dimmer. Why? Because you see, the riches in heaven, you cannot see with the literal eyes, you can only see it with the eyes of faith. And so the, the riches that we see here, the love of money, when it becomes the root of all evil, it's because when we covet after it, we begin to err from the faith. Why? Because it is tangible. And that is the, the reason why riches, it so deceptively changes our heart without us knowing it. Because you see, the mansion in heaven, the Bible tells us, no eye has seen, nor ear heard. It hasn't even entered into the mind of man. We haven't even imagined what the riches of heaven can be like. And so often the riches on earth, it changes us because we forget that God is the one that gave us all these blessings. It takes an eye of faith to see the riches that are stored up in heaven for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, the Bible says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is who? It's God. It's up in heaven. You can't see it. God did not build anything here on this earth. He instructed us to build things like the sanctuary, right? But the things that we see today is built by men and women who don't even believe in God. It takes faith to see the unseen the foundation of which is not built by human hands. But the riches on this earth, friends, it's so hard to let go once we get a taste for it, isn't it? It's harder to think that there's something better when we already have such a good life on earth already. How we're so satisfied with the standard of living that we have. It's so difficult to let go of these things sometimes. Look at what First Timothy Chapter 6, verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Friends, 
while God blesses us with riches, yes, He's the one that blesses us with all these things, we are reminded not to be high-minded or arrogant or proud. Remember that the riches on this earth are uncertain riches. We must, we must remember that God is the one that gives us all these riches, yes, to enjoy to a certain extent, but let's not get to the point that it makes us to forget God altogether. Many of us today are, are trusting in uncertain riches. We're putting more faith in, in the riches that we have here on this earth than faith in God. And in the case of the parable, let's not get to the point where we end up giving excuses about staying away from God, the giver of all our blessings. It's not that we're actually busy, but it's pretended busyness. You know, we have these excuses because we just want to enjoy life. And so God who gives us all these blessings to enjoy, when we begin to enjoy it, we end up forgetting about Him. And the problem, you know, friends, is not so much that we are actually giving excuses, but we just think that we're really, really busy. No time for church. No time for Bible study. Now I have these riches. I can go play golf on the weekends. I can go off and and go travel here and there. And, you know, maybe I'm not breaking the Sabbath, but I'm just, I don't have time for church. You see, no time for prayer meeting. And it's not because I'm doing anything bad in the, the middle of the week on a Tuesday night or, you know, no time to pray with my friends. But we end up getting busy with different other things. And you might not be doing bad things, but just enjoying life to the point that what? You have no time for God. It's rather that our priorities are different. I need to go and check my land. I need to go check my cows. I need to spend some time with my wife because I've been so busy working that, you know, if I spend time with God and then my marriage goes to ruins, that's not good. So, you know, we give up God and not work to spend time with our wife. But friends, why is it that the poor man responds though? Why is it? Well, from a worldly point of view, we, we think it's because that's the only sort of hope they have in this world. And, you know, that's, that's right to a certain extent. The Bible paints a better land, a better life, a better future. And so by faith, they... They believe the Scriptures more because there's nothing to hold on here. And so they have a greater faith to to look into the future, to cling to the eternal, to have a hope that is not centered on this life, but on the future immortal life. And friends, I've seen many people who started off poor, uh, poor, and their faith was pure. And so yes, I wanted to say those two words together, but they started off poor and their faith was pure pure because they really held on to the Scriptures dearly. But then as time went by, their their riches increased bit by bit, bit by bit, and their, their lifestyles got upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. And guess what? They end up forgetting God. And so that's why, you know, in James chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? It's not so much that God has chosen them and made them rich in faith, but circumstances make it such a way. Priorities make it such a way. You can only enjoy so much of this life when you only have so much money to to surround yourself with, with possessions that, hey, it gets easier to attend the prayer meeting. 
It gets easier to attend church. It gets easier to get into Bible study because what else are you going to do with your time after all, right? The rich man, they, they, they are poor in faith because they trust in their uncertain riches. They place their faith and their trust in material blessings rather than God. And they forget God because of all these material blessings. So in reality, the poor man really responds not because he has nothing else. But the Bible points it out simply as it is, because he is rich in faith. And in essence, he didn't give any excuses because there was no excuses to give. They didn't have any houses or lands or oxen to go and check up on, and they have a proper perspective of their marriage because it's a simple marriage, and they're deeply in love with their partners, yes, but as a result, they have their priorities in the right order, especially with God. So friends, here's the conclusion of the parable and how poor people respond to this invitation to come to this supper as opposed to the rich. Look at this. Luke 14, 25 to 27. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man will come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Friends, what does it mean when the Bible tells us we must hate father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, even your own life? I mean, it's not literal hate that the Bible is asking us to do here because, you know, at the end it says, hate your own life also. And no one would really hate their own life unless they're like suicidal. And surely Jesus is not telling us to be like that, right? Of course not. Let's go to a parallel passage found in Matthew. And it'll shed very clear light on this. Matthew 10, 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what Jesus is saying is we must not even put family above God. Yes, friends, family could actually get in the way of listening to God's voice and obeying His call sometimes. We got to be so careful with that. God does not want us to hate our family, but they must always be secondary to the call of God and His invitation to come to His supper. However, what's interesting in this parable though is that these people, they gave excuses and it wasn't about father or mother or brother or sister. It wasn't about their own life, except, you know, the last guy, he said, I need to go spend time with my wife. But the first two, they said what? I need to go see my land. I need to go check up on the oxen that I just purchased. They put their possessions above everything else. So many of us, we really do focus on our own life. So many of us, we really do let possessions. Family is a big thing, yes, in Asia especially. But even possessions, no matter where you go, possessions just have this deception about it that even though you might not be doing anything wrong, it's keeping you away from that which is good to build your faith. 
And so we got to be so careful, friends, with the, the possession that we buy. The, the more that we purchase, the more that we surround ourselves with different things, we end up worshipping it and it takes the time that rightfully belongs to God that we should give to God in spending time with Him and serving Him and worshipping Him. And so that's why Luke 9, it tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, And He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know, friends, the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome is our own life. The denial of our own selves. It's not so much that people will stop you from coming to church. Yes, we hear of families where there's struggles, where the mom and dad, they say, we're going to disown you if you do, do this and follow Jesus or get baptized. But you know, mostly the biggest hurdle that we usually have to overcome is a denial of self. Our money, our comforts, our goals, our aims. So many times we let our own personal agendas and desires get in the way of giving God the first place, responding to the call that God has to us. Come, come to the supper. And you know, see, it's, it's these worldly possessions, but also family as well. So often, get in the way. We really don't have God first. And you know, friends, anything above God is our God. If God is here and there's something above God, that's our God. You see that? And so many of us, we just have our priorities in the wrong order. And we say, no, 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 I, I don't worship my parents. I know, but we, we listen to our parents above God. And if that's the case, that's your God. That's the strongest voice in your life. That's the strongest priority in your life. And so it's not parents only or wife only or children, but our possessions as well. We can worship things without realizing that we are worshiping them. We have to be so careful. And so friends, how can we make sure we don't put family and riches and our possessions and our personal lives above God? You see, Jesus isn't done yet in Luke chapter 14. Let's go back there. Verses 28 to 30. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. You see, friends, Jesus, he wants us to count the cost of being his disciple. He wants us to count the cost, before we ever embark on this journey. Not for his sake, but for ours. Just as this man, he didn't count the cost of building this tower. He failed and he fell short and he wasn't able to finish it. And so it left, it, it stopped halfway and people began to mock him and laugh at him. It's like, oh, really? You didn't count the cost? He just started building without any thought Yes, many of us do that. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't, we don't really comprehend the magnitude of what it really means to follow Jesus all the way. And so that's why Jesus gave that clear statement. If any man does not hate father, mother, 
husband or wife or brother or sister, even his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Now, friends, I'm not trying to discourage you from following Jesus this evening. I want you to understand that in His presence, there are pleasures evermore. In in the presence of Christ, we can be satisfied. We can be happy. We can be full of love and joy. We can understand what peace is and true fulfillment. So I'm not trying to tell you, hey, 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 you're not willing to give up everything right now? No, 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 that's it. You can't follow Jesus. Don't follow Him. I'm not trying to say that, friends. But what Jesus is telling us is He lays it out very clearly. I want you to count the cost. Christ is saying that if you want to be my disciple, you have to be 100% mine. You have to be 100% committed to me. I must occupy first place above family and even your own life. Now, you know, you, you would think that that's the call to a pastor or a missionary, but no, friends, that's the call to every Christian who's to follow Christ every step of the way. He says all or nothing. If you do not give me that first place, if you don't love me more than what you love the most, and even what you love naturally, which is our father and our mother, right? You can't be my disciple. We got to get to that point. Love for Jesus. But let's finish this. Luke 14, 31 and 33. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." You know, friends, it, it makes more sense to consider first if you're able to win this war before the war actually takes place, before you go start marching out to, to the battlefield, right? Rather than just running head in first. We got to be so careful that we, we determine whether we can actually beat this enemy that's coming against us, right? We, we have to do all this planning. We have to count the cost. We have to sit down and figure it all out. We gotta count it all. It's like accounting, right? You gotta you gotta put all the figures together. You have to count the cost. We must count the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If we are to eat the bread in the kingdom of God one day. Many of us, we look forward to that. Blessed is he that will eat bread in the kingdom of God one day, but we don't realize the conditions. We don't realize the commitment. We don't count the cost of what that means. Yes, we look forward to eternal life. We look forward to no more sin. We look forward to no more death, no more sleep, no more pain, no more hunger, no more poverty. We look forward to all these sicknesses being gone and death gone forever. But we don't realize that there's a cost that it will cost us on this earth. God has to be first. And Jesus is telling us today that many people are not counting the cost. We embark on this journey, on this commitment, without much thought. And I want you to remember, friends, there is no such thing as commitment without sacrifice. You can't say you're committed to Christ if you're not willing to sacrifice for Him. 
when you committed to a relationship, you sacrifice. You sacrifice your time with your other friends. You sacrifice your money. You sacrifice so many things when it comes to relationship and marriage and children. There's such a great sacrifice. When it comes to work, there's a sacrifice. Many times as a pastor, I have to work on, on a holiday. That's a sacrifice. But I'm committed to this work. I'm not complaining. I'm not tooting my horn to tell everybody, hey, 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 look how good I am. No, friends. With this commitment to this work, with a commitment to your job, I'm sure the sacrifice of time, of sleep, of so many things. There is no such thing as commitment without sacrifice. Are we really willing to be a disciple of Christ today? Are we really willing to pay the cost of being in this relationship with Jesus today? Are we really willing to go all the way? Because Jesus says, look, you got to count the cost before you start. And so this is my one simple condition, all or nothing. You have to think about it. Are you really willing to give up everything for Jesus? We need to count that cost today, friends. And what does this have to do with the invitation to the marriage supper, well, pardon me, the, the, the supper for the rich and the poor? Let's, let's connect this back to the parable. You see, remember, the rich, they were the Israelites, who also today represent the Christians. They're not literal Israel. This is what we call spiritual Israel, spiritual circumcision, right? They heard the gospel invitation for them to come and follow Christ. However, they did not heed that call. They did not want to go all the way. They didn't count the cost properly, and following Christ was too great. They made excuses. They excused themselves from the dinner invitation. They didn't want to sacrifice. They didn't want to put Christ first. But the poor were willing to follow and to heed the invitation because it was easier to leave this world behind. Their faith was not affected by their possessions because they didn't have much. And so when Christ comes and the, the call comes for the sacrifice of everything, they are willing to give up everything, to pack, pack up, pick up, and just go. Friends, has money changed you? It changes a lot of people. Has money changed you? Has the pursuit of money changed you? This love of money really is so deceptive. It really has changed so many people because in the pursuit of it, it ends up making us hate God. It changes our priorities. It really messes up the priorities of our life and we, we must be so careful with how we treat money, how we spend it and the possessions that we have because the more you have, the more you desire. The poor can also have the rich man's mentality too, you know, the, the, the same mindset. You know, we, we, we can lock, um, lock in on certain riches or certain possessions and how a man looks at his Bentley might be not even as much as how a person looks at their little phone, their tablet or, or their laptop. They, they work so hard in so many months or years just to save up just to get it, you know, or, or their camera or, or whatever it is. You know, it's not even about how rich or poor you are, but it's how you treat money, how you look at money. In the pursuit of money, has it changed you? Has it really changed how you look at this life? How you look at God? How you start living your life? 
you know, friends, I think it's really important for us this evening to just pause right here and take an account of all that we have and ask ourselves, are we really willing to give it all up for Christ if He comes and invites us today? Are we really willing to surrender all that we have? You know, granted, Christ is probably not telling us, hey, 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 sell everything and and give to the poor and come follow me right now. But is there something that He's asking you to sacrifice? And it might not even be money. It might be time. And then, of course, it might roll over into money because, hey, hey, why don't you take a day off to spend with me? Why don't you take a day off to go and, and, and... dig deeper into the Bible, to to attend a Bible school. Why don't you take a day off to go and, you know, and that will be at the expense of our money, right? Many of us, we we take time off to go and travel. We take time off to go and, you know, for our own benefit. But has it been for the benefit of the gospel? Are, Are you willing to sacrifice? Let's not start with everything. But has God asked you to sacrifice in some way, shape or form? How about your tithe and your offering? How about time? How about paying for someone's meal? Or You know what I mean? These little things that you want to be a blessing to help people along the way. Are we willing to sacrifice for God? And that sacrifice comes in all shapes and forms. You know, God is not and has not put that call right now, right here, to just sell everything. He does it in stages sell bits in here, bits in there, right? But commitment and sacrifice go together. And whatever it is that God has asked you to sacrifice today, let's not talk about the bad things. He definitely wants us to sacrifice all the bad things. But how about some of the good things? Your money, right? Your time. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. So are you willing to give that up for Christ? What is it that God is asking you to sacrifice this evening? You can see where you stand in how you respond to calls like that. And sometimes it comes through sacrifice for a poor person. Sacrifice for someone not as fortunate as yourself. Sacrifice. What for? I don't gain anything back in this world. Yeah, there's nothing to gain. It's a blessing to that person and that person alone. There's no... You do me a favor and I do you a favor, right? There's nothing of that sort. It's because God loves the rich and He loves the poor as well. And more so the poor because, I shouldn't say more so, I take that back. It's not that He loves the poor more, but it's reflected in how we treat them. Those that are not as fortunate as ourselves because our motives are then different, isn't it? Friends, are you really willing to sacrifice with no desire for gain, back whatsoever. Too often we look at how much we're going to sacrifice and how much we're going to get back. I'm willing to live a certain way now for one year so that my investment can triple. You know, we want something back. We want a return on our sacrifice. But when you're feeding the poor, there's no return on that sacrifice, friends, except your riches will be in heaven, which you cannot see. But you can see by the eye of faith. So friends, I know that God has called each and every one of you to sacrifice to a certain extent. What that is, is between you and God. But I know 
that if we are to be in a committed relationship with Jesus today, the call to sacrifice has always been there. What is it for you? What is it? I pray that we would be willing, with our hearts set on fire by the love through the Holy Ghost, that we would be willing to give up anything and everything one day for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of our Lord and our Savior and our, our beloved friend who died for us because we love him. That we would be willing to sacrifice and go all the way. Friends, I hope that's your desire. And I hope that God through his Spirit would stir that desire up in your heart today. That he would prick our consciences and see even where we fall short as well that we might understand that we got to go back to the drawing board with our relationship again with Jesus this evening. May God help us to that end. May God continue to strengthen our relationship and our love for Him each and every day. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, You were totally committed to us. You were so in love with us that You bore that shameful agony on that cross. Lord, it could not have been more humiliating, but you did it for us. And I want to thank you and help us. Help us to be filled with your love that we can give you back to some degree the love that you give us. Lord, we are not able to, to love you with that agape love, but just help us to understand it and get a glimpse of it and to be able to return some of that love back to you through the sacrifice of our lives in some way to show you how much we really love you. And so, Father, this evening, I know that you're calling your children. You're calling all of us. You're calling us to that great supper one day. I pray that we would heed that call. Help us, Lord, not to sit on the sidelines. Help us not to stay away. Help us, Lord, to be fully committed to you. And so, Lord, we just surrender our lives again to you this evening. Please, please, Baptize us again with your Spirit because our selfish hearts, Lord, we cannot do it alone. We just gravitate to these worldly riches and these worldly possessions and it deceives us and it takes us away. Lord, please, open our eyes. Give us your Spirit. Help us to live the life of Jesus today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.